Welcome to Mind the Resilience, a podcast that explores the world of business continuity and disaster recovery. Today's guest is Jason Haas, a business continuity and disaster recovery expert with extensive experience in designing and implementing plans to protect critical businesses, data and systems. In addition to his professional work, Jason is also a talented photographer. In this episode, Jason shares his insights on how ISO 22316 contributes to the field of business continuity, how to manage disaster recovery plans, how to identify critical operations and systems and collaborate with multiple stakeholders to develop, implement and exercise business continuity plans. He also shares his strategies for leading IT response to problems and incidents and provide quick fire tips on resilience. Tune into this episode for practical tips and real world examples from a seasoned expert in business continuity and disaster recovery. Hello and welcome to Mind the Resilience podcast. We have Jason today. Jason, how are you? I am doing well, Ramki. How are you? I'm excellent, Jason. Thank you so much for uh, accepting my invite and joining my podcast. I know it's going to be a fascinating discussions. Before we start, Jason, would you like to introduce yourself and also anything interesting about you apart from your professional work? Sure. Well, my name's Jason Haas. I live in the greater uh, or reside more like in the greater Denver, Colorado area. I'm a Midwest guy at heart, born and raised in Northern Illinois. Uh, let's see, I've been in the resilience space for almost 10 years now, but mm. outside of, uh, that work, I'm a, a recovering professional photographer. I had, a mm. owned a business with a gaggle of partners over the years, specializing in school pictures, sports photography, covering the entire state of Wisconsin. Mm. Fascinating career that, uh, is what brought me out to Colorado and allowed yeah. me to practice personal resilience as I was trying to acquire a business out here. And unfortunately, the poison pill clause was invoked <laughs> and uh, no more opportunity there. So just simply had to pivot. And uh, that's where I found my next career in the resilience space. Okay. Well, I think we should have a separate podcast for your photography skills. I think that will be really interesting uh, to talk about, Jason. But that's for another, uh, you know, podcast and another session. But just wanted to ask you, like, um, how did you ended up in the business continuity? Is that something like you transitioned? You wanted to move uh, to the business continuity space, or it's just an opportunity that came in and then you moved? How did it all happen for you? Um, a bit of it was opportunity and uh, personal resilience and dumb luck, right place <laughs> at the right time. Yeah. So previously I had worked in the, uh, for a K-12 uh, public education institution as a desk side support, supporting mm -hmm. administration. And uh, one of the executive directors had noticed a tact that I had around it in developing relationships with the end users to understand how they interacted and used or abused technology. Okay. And he had an opportunity open up for uh, business continuity and disaster recovery in the organization. And he loved the relationship building aspect. So he had encouraged me to apply for it. Uh, little did he know that well, the job board at pretty much any place that I work is one of my favorite places to visit because it's my future opportunities. Okay. I had seen it and out of personal resilience, I saw the pay scale and that was really, really exciting <laughs> to me going, wow, I can actually make a living. And yeah. as I was reading through that job description, it's just like, 
business continuity, disaster recovery. I've been doing this all my life. <laughs> so I, I happily applied and uh, was selected uh, to go through the interview process. And mm -hmm. uh, luckily enough, I was awarded the role. Um, yeah. And part of the, the personal resilience with that role it was 30 minutes before my, uh, my final interview with the panel. And I was notified that I had been exposed to COVID. This was very early on in the pandemic, just like a couple of months in, not a lot of information. Mm -hmm. So I collectively lost my brain going, what should I do? What do I need to do? Mm -hmm. And I canceled this interview. It was a, a Zoom-based interview. And I took a deep breath mm -hmm. and reset myself and just went forward with the interview, didn't tell anyone. And uh, apparently they liked it enough where I was awarded the role so and I entered in the world of business continuity and disaster recovery. Yeah. Uh, and it's been pretty darn interesting ever since. Yeah. They can't hide your interest on business continuity, even though you are down with COVID, nobody can stop you entering into the world of business continuity and disaster recovery, Jason. Well done. Okay. Uh, so uh, Jason, um, we are going to discuss a lot of things today. I want to start our conversations with something unique that you have done recently. Um, on the ISO committee and uh, standards, right? So can you tell me about experience as a business continuity expert and your work on ISO committee to update the standards like how did you become in, become interested basically first in um, in, in uh, BCP and uh, disaster recovery and your involvement in the ISO committee to update the standards what impact this work has at the industry and can you elaborate more and uh, you know tell to my audience about this Right. Um, well, the ISO committee that I'm part of is the ISO uh, 22316 uh, mm -hmm. Committee for Security and Resilience. And through some of my certifications with an organization called I-Corps, um, they're a, uh, one of the members on a lot of the ISO committees, and they had a call for action from their members of, does anybody want to participate in one of these ISO forums as a uh, work group expert? And mm -hmm. I, I uh, raised my hand and I, I wanted to be involved with that. And yes. I, I had reached out to those stakeholders in I-Corps and uh, they uh, accepted me as a work group two expert for business continuity to help inform the 22316 mm -hmm. uh, framework. And what I love about this is one, if I'm going to follow any framework, it's really nice to have skin in the game. Yes. to have the ability to work within those ISO languages that can be um, vague or very strict at times is how it guides us and our best yes. practices in the industry. Uh, unfortunately, I entered into the this particular ISO committee pretty late in the game. I've only attended a couple mm -hmm. of meetings and uh, I haven't had a great opportunity to dive deep, but the little bit that I have done it's a great group of professionals who are committed to the mission mm. of resilience and improving our standards for the benefit of all. And I'm looking forward after we uh, complete the summer recess session to really mm. immersing myself into the standard and uh, hopefully helping identify some of those key principles at attributes, as well as helping clarify yeah. some of the language in ISO. Um, th that is one of my goals. So I'm using my summer to, uh, read through the entire 22316 yeah. standard so I have a greater understanding of it sure. and how it applies to what I do. Sure, no problem. Um, I think ISO 22301 is the standard that every organization's um, 
you know if they want to implement the business continuity uh, the program right uh, for their own organizations or even they want to go for an audit uh, they have this iso 22301 standard they want to implement in the organizations iso 22316 is something unique uh, maybe that's something like i would love to understand more about once you have done your homework and uh, maybe learned more about it maybe we should chat about it because it talks about both security and resilience right um, and and uh, 22301 is more into only the business continuity management right so what are all the steps that is required to um you know build a business continuity plan the risk assessments and everything right but here more into security and resilience so there should be some level of differentiations i would again as i said told maybe once it is out or once you have done something maybe we should have a chat again and then find out what extra that we can learn from these uh, iso standards uh, jason right i i would absolutely love that and just to talk uh, briefly about like the 22316 as well as the mm-hmm. 22301 standards Definitely 22301 is the guiding standard for business yes. continuity uh, specifically the uh, 2019 iteration of it. Correct. And if your organization is being audited or aligning to continuity that is definitely one Correct. of the primary uh, frameworks to uh, follow. But mm-hmm. with 22316 right now it's more of a guidance but it does provide a comprehensive framework for organizations to improve their right. resilience. and part mm-hmm. of security is part of being resilient too uh, especially with the threat landscape today but it helps identify those key principles and attributes that you know contribute to organizational or operational resilience it can mm. be used to develop a more resilient culture within an organization for yes. me I, i'm all about the culture because exactly. we can have automation processes all this great technology that at some point will fail and exactly. we're going to have to ask our team members our leaders our our human elements to show up to interact mm. with it so having a resilient culture and uh, agile leadership is really key to me in being mm. successful with all this but uh, again to 22316 it can also help organizations understand and improve their risk management processes okay. industry industry best practices and guidance around that as well as to help the organizations to create a robust business continuity plan is how it mm. doesn't necessarily replace 22301 but it definitely helps guide it and enhance it mm. with a more modern look at this time mm. okay that's that's good to hear uh, jason good points okay let's move on to our other topics that we have right um i want to touch specifically on the um managing designing and implementation uh, you know the disaster recovery plans right what are all the key steps involved in designing and implementing a disaster recovery plan right um and how do you ensure that the plan is effective and practical uh, to protect the crit- critical business data and systems and how do you communicate these plans to stakeholders and ensure that everyone is prepared for a potential disaster so if you can uh, you know throw some light on that jason yeah i i approach this uh from a, a different level as in mm-hmm. Well, I like to be a technical person. I'm not necessarily the doer of the disaster recovery. Uh, I coordinate the efforts of the organization. Yes. So for me, it's all about communication. Mm. And uh, a form of communication that I absolutely love to use and have recently found is called radical candor by Kim Scott. And okay. it's the idea of challenge directly but care personally. So have empathy in your communications, but also let's get to the point and get to the real work. 
So for me, under radical candor, it, it involves, I need to identify those, those key teams that own that technology and work with them to make sure that they have proper work instructions and playbooks for restoration of technology, because it's never if technology it's going, when it's going to, ah, it's never if technology will fail, it's always when technology will fail. That sounds much better. Um, so we work with our different application owners and critical mm. processes that we identified through our business impact analysis. Mm. And we work with them to make sure those uh, due diligence and best practices are in place, that we have proper backup and recovery, that our RPOs, RTOs, MTDs can all be reasonably met um, mm. with the expectation of our company company doesn't meet the SLAs that we have with external vendors, as well as our operational level agreements with ourselves. Mm. And so I coordinate and orchestrate with those team members, those departments, and those third parties on making sure that um, disaster recovery testing is being performed at the intervals that the business has accepted to ensure that the testing is more meaningful than just check the box compliance. Yeah. Sometimes I hate to admit it. You have to do check the box compliance to move <laughs> things forward, but it's always important that you loop back to create more meaningful tests. So I'm working with uh, third, our third party partners and stakeholders to see how we can integrate more meaningful DR tests. It's one mm. thing when we fail over an application or service and test it. It's another thing of when we fail it over to see what's that impact look like to our customers. How does yeah. their interaction work? Can it work? through their internal connection methods, remote connection methods. What does it look like to the customer? Mm -hmm. And we're building to the point where I would love to get to doing DR failure during business hours to see what impact this has like on the customer because disaster recovery events are simply never convenient. They will happen mm -hmm. when they happen. And it's not something that you can schedule, but there's also that risk appetite and tolerance of the business for disruption as well as we try to move all the good work forward. So the long-winded answer to your question is yeah i coordinate and communicate with the stakeholders to make sure due diligence mm. documents are there that we have things properly coordinated and documented and that all stakeholders and interested parties are aware of the process yeah. while firmly believing in continuous improvement knowing that we can always do better well done good points uh, jason just to add whatever you have told uh, you know from from my perspective what we also do is have a scheduled calendar in place like for our critical application uh, disaster recovery testing right like we work with our uh, business partners as well as with our vendors and our stakeholders to find out what is the best schedule for our dr uh, test for the entire year so having that plan in place will give some level of cushion for us um, you interestingly you said that like you do testing during the business days do you get outage approvals or uh, is it something like a different uh, testing that you do like you do some uh, real world disaster recovery testing or like is it something different uh, Jason uh, well right now we're in the process of data center migration so I, okay. in theory I should have only two data centers but right now I have four so this uh, does provide me some opportunity as we push services between data centers to do real-time failover um, for those instances. Now, being in the fintech space and the way we work with uh, credit unions, our, our partners and our customers, and understandably so, have little tolerance for outage. 
Um, yeah. A great way to get to social unrest is to stop people from accessing <laughs> their, um, their capital. So we are very sensitive and cautious to that. It is something yeah. that the conversation has started with our leadership to understand mm-hmm. their appetite and tolerance to it, as well as working with our partners on it. So while it's something that we're not purposefully doing actively right now, it is something that we are uh, aggressively working toward. Um, And with our data center migrations, some of that work is just enabled during the normal day, or as we have um, incidents that may pop up during the day, sometimes an unplanned failover, and we see (laughs) how our workaround instructions and playbooks work for restoring services. Exactly, exactly. See, it's it's a balance, right? Like, um, not all businesses are going to give you the outage approval to conduct a live DR testing, So, but some you can do it depending upon the criticality of the applications or the infrastructures that we have. So it's a balance, right? So um, if we can do it during the live uh, business day, that will increase the resiliency of our applications or the infrastructures having a robust resiliency in place because that is going to test exactly your DR environment on a live uh, you know, uh, uh, working day. But doing, doing it on, on a weekend or maybe on an off business hours, it's less resilient, but you can test it and then, you know, maybe improve your maturity to a level where at least you, you can at least test some of the, you know, core modules within the, uh, you know, the applications to ensure that those are working fine with limited set of users. So it's always a balance and, you know, it's up to the uh, DR coordinators like us to find out what is the balances and then maybe take it forward from there. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you on that, Ramki. It's about judging that risk appetite and tolerance of leadership for allowing us to do more meaningful and interactive DR tests. But it's also riding that um, knife's edge sometimes of a resume generating event, um, which ideally none of us want want to incur. So it's always a work in progress and it always starts with a great conversation and uh, just working through with partners on this. Because at some point, we won't have the opportunity to do this in a planned yes. testing environment, and it'll just be a live fire exercise with high stakes. Uh, yeah. So I would rather do it under a controlled environment initially, build up True. that resilience and that trust amongst stakeholders and work towards a much more meaningful and impactful, in a good way, DR exercise. Okay, Jason. So... I want to ask you the next topic that I want to discuss with you. So can you share some examples of critical operations and systems that are code to continuous business operations in the event of a disruptions? And how do you conduct the risk analysis uh, to identify them? Can you share some thoughts on that? Of course. Um, as I touched on briefly in the, the last question, I, I work in fintech and we're the IT services for, we're a credit union uh, service organization. So we provide IT services to credit unions. Um, So people's net worth and operating capital are a table in a database. When disrupted anywhere in the chain of operations, the impacts are immediate and real. This is how we get to social unrest. Tying the human element and impact of the disruption together enables me to work with groups to create risk identification and mitigation strategies. Knowing that, you know, the core, uh, um, Applicate or the core database that holds people's net worth and handles all the financial information and transactions together. Um, well, that's a pretty big item and it's got a lot of risk associated. And this helps me uh, cement the relationship between mm-hmm. stakeholders and risk. 
So yeah. I, I kind of paint it as in what would mom think if you uh, bricked her bank account, if mom or dad or whomever, you know, maybe a loved one didn't have access to their financial means. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, I, I never want to find out. But um, this drives the work and allows me to cement this with the process owner and myself so that we dive deeper as if their family depends on it. So tying it to more of a a personal resilience and what would we do if our parents or loved ones didn't have access to capital? Well, knowing that we control those IT support services, um, that allows Mm -hmm. us to get into of the analysis. So I'll lean heavily on our subject matter experts to produce the technical findings. They simply know the processes, applications, data centers better than I hope so. I sit more on that higher level layer, coordinating mm-hmm. and orchestrating um, our team members, stakeholders, SMEs, all that together. So I play to my strengths and surround myself with peers smarter, much smarter than myself. Yeah. And this helps me function at a level where policy interacts with the process. And this ensures that our technical capabilities align with the organization and its members' written and adopted standards, as well as contractual obligations. Mm. Um, Well, this is also a very popular area for uh, risk to hang out. And if we identify that risk, we can raise it to then executive leadership to gauge its appetite for that risk. They'll either accept it or we'll mitigate it. And if they want us to mitigate it, that's where the real work starts and we'll dive deeper. What do we need to make that more resilience? Do we need um, cross-training functionality on those team members or SMEs? So when that does burp or turn into a disaster event or even a continuity event, who do I need to show up to start working on that? Do we have the right tools, technology, and redundancy in place at such a critical application? Just uh, in my photography background, when I would go on site, I always looked at it as two is one, one is none. And that relates to cameras. If you bring one camera Mm -hmm. to your job and it breaks, well, you're done and you're not getting paid that day. So the idea is you'd always bring two cameras because it acts like one and you would bring three cameras to act like two, so on and so forth. So you'd always plan for failure and redundancy. And it's no different when we're talking with risk. Things happen. And things are going to happen that are out of our scope of control or planning. And it's how we react to it and pivot to a mitigation strategy that really matters. So I want to ensure my team members are going to show up in those worst case of events. If I have some automation and technology to enable maybe uh, really tight RPOs and RTOs, how does that technology work under impact and how reliable is it? What is the SLA contractual obligations for that vendor? Mm -hmm. And just making sure as to do our due diligence and understand where our risks are and always raise that to leadership. Leadership controls that person in the end, owns the entire risk appetite and profile exactly. for the organization. So even though I help them plan and understand it, it's up to them to accept it or not. And then we can do good work. Well done. Great, great points, uh, Jason. Well done. So my follow-up question to you is like on stakeholder management, right? So how do you collaborate with multiple stakeholders to develop, implement and exercise business continuity plans, right? So and and support all business plan activities necessary to enable the business to mitigate the effects of various uh, in, in interruptions? How do you ensure that the plan is regularly exercised and updated as necessary? And how do you work with the stakeholders to ensure that everyone is on the same page? Can you throw some lights on that, uh, Jason? 
Yeah. And for me, it's uh, as with uh, a lot of business continuity, it's key to have leadership buy-in because Hmm. this is something that needs to come from top down, not bottom up. As a uh, disaster recovery business continuity coordinator, my my authority is uh, limited. Hmm. And to help encourage stakeholders and everything, it helps to have that agile leadership buy-in so they can influence the culture of communication. And this buy-in can really help unstick things like stakeholder avoidance. Hmm. Sometimes as we try to gather so many people together, it's like herding cats. And uh, it it can be a really, really challenge just to get everyone to show up at the table and have a meaningful conversation. But with leadership buy-in, they can help remove some of those roadblocks, enable the culture of being transparent and owning problems and working through them. Um, I also leverage a thing called tactical empathy, um, Mm. which thank you, Chris Voss uh, of Never Split the Difference. It's a great book. You should read it. And this enables the acknowledgement and validation of other person's feelings. Um, So that allows me to build rapport by showing that you care. And it's not just showing that you care. It's also meaning it. Otherwise, it's just really empty and and surfacy. And this helps lower barriers um, or resistance to any type of change or enabling challenging conversations. So in our roles as resilience professionals, we can get into the weeds and find areas of gray and shine a light on them. Mm. And we can ask the team members to do more work, which is always a challenge. We're always, everyone's always so busy and Mm. overtasked. And as a resilience professional, we constantly ask more people to do work. And this can be a significant challenge with some organizations and some organizational cultures. And again, I just bring it all back to leadership buy-in, because if you have buy-in from the leadership, they can help influence the culture, which can remove some of those roadblocks to yeah. enable these conversations. Sure. You you touched upon a lot of important points, Jason, because like, again, uh, my perspective here is that like, right, um, there are so many departments that are working in silos within the organization, right? As a business continuity, uh, you know, uh, expert or a consultant, we have a good bird's eye view of our entire business, right? Uh, we sit at the top where we get to know the products and services that the company offers, right? And um, we do the business impact analysis, the risk assessments that, uh, you know, for the multiple uh, services that the company provides. And, we have a lot of data with us, right? Unfortunately, these data are not being shared or like, I would say that shared in the sense like there'll be a lot of value if we can share these different informations with multiple different departments and stakeholders. Say, for example, risk management, right? Uh, they, they do their own analysis of what are the internal and the external risks. Maybe the business impact analysis can be some kind of an input that can go into an, another, um, you know, uh, team as well. And, and, we bring in, we foster these kind of communications by doing or having those conversations across the team, right? Not only within the business continuity or within the stakeholders, but across the different teams so that we bring the value out of it and then ensure that, you know, the organizations are much more resilient, right? So it's very important to have constant interactions on what other team are doing it and then ensuring that the data is also passed across to other teams so that, you know, we have those good conversations and build a resilient, uh, you know, uh, 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 resilient organizations for the entire company. So just, just my point of view on exactly how it, it can span out and, with good stakeholder management. 
Right. And that, that is a great point of view as well. It's about communicating widely and being transparent in your communications. Yeah. Um, so everyone knows the others. So we're not rehashing sure. conversations that have happened and we're using people's time wisely. Exactly. It's one of my biggest fears and resilience of people look at going, oh, it's another BIA yeah. or oh, I got to go do this. No, no, that's not the intention. I want people to be excited about this. Um, one of the things I like to bake this into everyday conversations is things always fail. We have trouble yeah. in personal and professional lives and it's going to happen. It's what we do about it that really matters. So exactly. when we're engaging in these conversations, it's like, how are you going to show up in the time that matters? How about we talk about it now while we have the cycles compared to doing it in crisis mode? Because once we're in crisis, it's simply too late. Exactly. Good points. Good points. Okay. Let's move our conversation, uh, Jason. Can you share some insights on how you lead IT response to mitigating major uh, problems and incidents, right? So how do you coordinate the response efforts with different stakeholders and parties and provide a high-level updates to multiple leadership channels, right? So what are all the key strategies that you use to lead these IT responses and how do you coordinate between, again, the different stakeholders? We already talked about stakeholder management and communication. So how uh, the coordination happens between the different stakeholders during your IT response and IT incident management if you can please talk about that. Oh, for sure. And this is one of my favorite areas to focus on. Um, and after I have my moment of, uh-oh, yeah. uh, and you know, recollect myself, then it all starts with communication. Um, a former peer instilled in me that we must understand the event before we start solutioning. Otherwise, we're simply going to waste time. So for me, it's about getting the right people to the table at the right time to have that right conversation. And yes. that looks like first thing I do is I get leadership on a bridge. Okay, leadership, this is what we're experiencing while also then getting the technical teams up. Okay, technical teams, this is what we are experiencing. This is the incident that's logged or the problem ticket or the critical event or whatever it is, however it's logged. These are the facts that we have in front of us. These are the people who are impacted. And um, these are the potential, what we believe mm. to be the impacted applications or services. And we start with that. We're just going through communication, doing our due diligence check to make sure we're always rooted in facts and not assumptions. Um, and which is ironic because as uh, continuity and disaster, we, we base a lot of our work around assumptions. True. Um, but in the case of actually responding to an event, there's facts in front of us as much as there can be. And we just start need to peel that onion. So if we show up with answers instead of questions, we'll waste time, potentially worsen mm -hmm. the event or prolong the event. So we need to understand the event impact and scope. And then we can get to then solutioning. Do we have the right technical teams yes. here? If not, well, let's get those right technical teams on. Is this a third party uh, managed event now? great. What is our third party saying? How have we reached out to them? We need to leverage our vendor management contracts. We also need to understand any service level uh, agreements that we have with them. Mm. And that's more of an after action type thing because there's usually uh, fiduciary uh, or fiduciary parts of a SLA where an organization mm. can be made whole from an out of scope impact. But 
regardless of that, that's more of an insurance business side after action item, but I need to get our technical teams talking and coordinating events, loop in vendors if needed, um, whether it's owned or non-owned. Uh, leverage communication channels outlined in the SLA or OLA yes. and let the vendor resolve the issue before having that religious moment with your sales professional. Um, that is never a good time to have it when you're in the event. You can have those more um, deeper conversations with disappointment and vendors after the fact. The last thing you want to do is uh, complicate the relationship when you're asking for help. Yeah. So we try to avoid that. Um, also, interested parties are really important in this, too. Like we have our credit unions and mm -hmm. other credit union service organizations that we support. Um, there's not only stakeholders, some of them are interested parties. Uh, they're just as important as everyone else. And in a larger event, um, I need to make sure that they're getting general updates, it, whether it's uh, I'm standing up a communications bridge, a voicemail service, maybe Microsoft Teams or some other uh, video type platform and providing frequently uh, frequent updates on where we're at, even if the status is nothing's new. Uh, then we put in the status of, hey, we're still working. Yeah. The problem should have an update again in whatever that uh, predetermined communication interval is. And I have also have leveraged my direct leader in this um, to communicate upwards at predetermined frequencies. So I report directly to our chief technology officer and I would leverage my chief technology officer to communicate with the rest of the C-suite um, beyond our communications bridge if need be, as well as helping funnel back in information through the CTO to myself. Because the one thing I'm always worried about in a lot of resilience professionals is we're single threaded, we're single contributors True. in what we do. And when an event's activated, it could be a DR and continuity and crisis and every other process uh, in the organization. So we want to make sure we keep our communications lean and to the point and not have um, analysis paralysis by sure. being bombarded with 50 different channels of updates. We need to funnel those through and be very concise. Um, so for the most part, it's again, a theme here. It's all about communication yeah. and organizing that communication. Cause if everyone's in, at least in the know or updated, it'll help mitigate panic True, because when people get in that fight or flight stage, all bets are off. <laughs> exactly. No, uh, you gave a good picture about the incident management processes. Like, like, you know, in, in case of an incident, what is required? what teams are required, how do we engage with our senior management, how do we respond to it. You did a good job on, you know, explaining each and every single, uh, you know, uh, piece of uh, things that has to be taken care of, to be taken care of during the actual incidents, uh, Jason. So good points on that. Okay. I'm going to touch upon your favorite topic, I believe, which is that you are a photographer, right? So, I want to relate that with uh, business continuity and disaster recovery because this podcast is all about that. As a photographer, how has your experience in the field contributed to your work in uh, business continuity and uh, disaster recovery? So again, it's your passion, I believe. So how do you balance the both? Um, and and if, if someone is in your similar uh, situation, like you having their own hobbies, right? So how can they ensure that, you know, the hobbies are also being taken care of, also being a resiliency consultant. So any thoughts on that uh, from your side, Jason? Yes. And uh, this one, I, I've uh, 
in my previous profession as a uh, photographer, I was a location photographer. So okay. I go to where the work is. People don't necessarily come to me and mm-hmm. it can be absolutely disastrous and disappointing when things break or if you forget something. Yeah. So think of these one-off events like a wedding. Um, yes. You forget your camera on that type of critical day. Well, you got a problem and most likely a lawsuit on your hands. Yes. So the idea is you create those strategies of sure. I'm going to forget something. I'm Something's going to break. Something just simply won't go right. Or mm. in the case of weddings, you're dealing with high, uh, high emotional stakes on that day Correct. from uh, the wedding party, whether it's a, a bridezilla or mom of the bride or just a, a groom. Uh, just, there's so much that you can experience. Yes. Um, and it's all about coming in with an open mind mm. of you just sometimes have to roll with the event, especially with weddings. You you can try to script it out as much as you can, but things are going to happen. And I, I think of my own wedding uh, on that day and my uh, my wife's mother, my mother-in-law, unfortunately had a massive stroke on the day of the wedding and had wow. to uh, go to the ER. So she was the mother of the bride was no longer able to attend. And this was probably a good 10, 15 minutes before we're ready to walk it down, walk down the aisle. Wow. So what do you do? Well, you just. There's nothing that you Except. can do. You can't control the situation. The fact is you're not going to be able to rush to the ER and help. So what you can do and what I believe my mother-in-law would have wanted is for us just to continue to the mm. best of our ability and to think about things more critically when we have the cycles and the emotional bandwidth to do so. Sure. So control what you can control. Let go of the things you can't. And that's very similar with photography. You know, as you're dealing with people and emotionals, uh, emotional yeah. situations and everything, control what you can, let go what you can't. Don't add fire to this. Don't add fuel to the fire. Um, and just show up and provide the experience you were hired to do. As a photographer, I'm there to capture and document a very special memory of that day, whether it be a wedding, sports teams and individuals, a school picture, mm-hmm. a senior portrait session whatever it might be, we are there not to be the focus, but yes. to participate in documenting that event. Superb. Good analogy here, uh, Jason. Being a photographer, being a resiliency consultant, I think you picture it very well, where um, you have to accept what is there currently, and then you can only control what can be controlled. Right. So that's a good way of putting it. I think that has transitioned. I think your transition to a uh, resiliency consultant would have been much more smooth. I mean, it would have been smooth uh, because of your, you know, working as a photographer, because at least whomsoever I've talked to, um, not many people I come across where a photographer turned resiliency consultant that I'm going to meet, a, meet, meet again and again. So uh, here, a good perspective here. And, you know, uh, it has opened my eyes as well. So good job on that. Right. And uh, to a point, I also thank my mother. Uh, She uh, instilled a lack of planning Mm. uh, in me in certain events, and it drives my wife nuts because she's such a planner. So when we go on vacation, I pretty much have this is where we're showing up. This is our hotel (laughs) and the rest we'll figure out when we get there. Sure, sure. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Jason, we have come to the last part of my new section in my podcast. Uh, which is resilience 
quick fire it's very similar to the rapid fire round uh, that you have you would have heard in the other shows tv shows or radio shows or wherever you have heard about it right so i'm going to ask you some certain questions and i'm looking forward to an instantaneous or maybe a one or two liner answer from you is that okay with you perfect i'm ready okay let's start what's a daily habit that helps you stay resilient this is a new one to me i've been practicing for the last month intermittent fasting um it has mm. helped me gain a uh mental sharpness that i hadn't had before good one okay what's the most resilient person you know and why my wife hands down she's experienced so much adversity in her life and her career mm. she has picked herself back up each and every time though through her challenges and keeps pushing forward she's weathered job losses mental health challenges mm. loss of family members um it's been a challenge but she is just so resilient and so positive she doesn't accept it and just keeps pushing forward superb okay the next one what's a book or a movie that has inspired you with its message of resilience <laughs> this is a good one it's called adaptive business continuity a new approach by mark armer instead and mark armer i know <laughs> um it's as i entered this profession it was the first book i bought i had just was attended a drj conference i heard mark speak and i had all these wonderful ideas and it's a book about continuity for those that don't mm. know it serves as a reminder that we can do things differently and still find success iso is a great organization and it offers a ton of value and standards but they are standards rules and governance which are important but how does that serve us in a fight or flight mode do you recite iso doctrine during bc reviews or events how about yeah. exercises and it just reminds us that we can do things differently and that's absolutely critical and that we can define our own path so a huge shout out to david linstat and mark armer for what i believe to be a very inspirational book yeah uh, just to let my audience know he came to my podcast for episode number 13 so if someone is interested to know more about adaptive business continuity we have a special podcast episode number 13 they can go and watch it thank you jason Okay my last quick fire to you is what's a piece of advice you would give to someone who is struggling to stay resilient This reminds me of a, a former business partner uh who reminded me I'd struggled as an introvert at the time of being a salesperson of you know each business owner is their own best salesman and how they sell and promote their services and he instilled in me is no is when the negotiation starts So if you show up trying to sell something or trying to uh move forward uh whether it's personal or professional resilience and you hit those roadblocks of no it doesn't mean that you're done sometimes mm -hmm. it does and hopefully you can interpret the difference but it's also a great opportunity to understand what does no mean does no mean not right now mm -hmm. never or let's talk more later um so it's just a reminder of when you hear no it doesn't mean it's the end of the road read the person be empathetical to their situation but also find a way to pivot and still enable that conversation well then well then jason with that we come to the end of our podcast session it was absolute uh, great to hear from you all your points has been really good uh, my audience my audience are going to love it before we end our podcast 
I want to ask you if someone wants to get in touch with you to take this conversation further or discuss more about your photography skills or photography rather than the resiliency or jokes apart even the resiliency as well how can they get in touch with you and uh, what is the best medium to do it yeah linkedin right now is the best platform to find me i am relatively active i'm authoring articles weekly on there and i would love the opportunity to gauge and dialogue with anybody who's willing to have it with me so look me up on linkedin send a connection request and we'll take it from there i'm going to put your linkedin profile in my show notes uh jason so that someone can get in touch with you and take the conversations further Thank you so much for coming to my podcast and sharing your knowledge. Have a wonderful day. See you then. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you Ronki and thank you to all your listeners for this wonderful opportunity to talk about something I'm very passionate about. Thank you.